uh, this is the beginning of spring, 22nd, 21st, 22nd of March is the spring equinox. <coughs> So the days and nights are equal. And you notice the change of the, you know, the feeling changes from the stillness, uh, restrained feeling of winter, and now things get a little more lively. Enjoy watching the seasons change. Because being uh, sensitive, uh, conditioned in the universe, then these things do affect conscious experience. And so we're listening and noticing the way it is. <clears throat> not not trying to convince ourselves how we should feel about spring or winter or cold weather or hot weather, but it's noticing, uh, looking at the reality of experience. And when we come from ideas and ideals, then we then we're all fil- filled with these with this this should and shouldn't uh, ways of thinking. So like being a monk or a nun, we can be full of shoulds about what we should be or think or feel about life. Because it's a, it's a we can be very altruistic and uh, about the life that we're living. But this also comes out of ignorance. If one is not really aware, if you're just measuring yourself with high standards and ideals and not really awakened to the way things actually are. And of course, this sense of a self-involvement is one of the big delusions. So if, if I'm feeling angry or sad or greedy, then it's, you know, a good monk shouldn't be greedy or, you know, the ideal of the bhikkhu is compassionate, uh, mindful uh, kind of human being. So trying to become the, the perfect bhikkhu or the perfect siladhara is uh, you're bound to fail. You know, you're never going to achieve it. Because the conditions change. Sometimes it's easy to be, you know, uh, do everything in the prescribed way and and uh, so forth, but then conditions change. So winter becomes spring, and people come and go, winter retreats end, and it goes on and on like this. The conditions around us, both in nature and in society, uh, are in this relentless process of changing. And that's why the Buddha pointed to a Nietzsche rather than to ideals. The ideals for monastic life are not meant to be intimidating us into into trying to become some some ideal image. But they're they're like ideals can be seen as as uh, something beautiful, be- ideals are beautiful, and then they're they're uh, they're perfect. They give a direction, but as an attachment, uh, they're a disaster. <clears throat> so we end up always feeling 
you know, less than that, somehow never good enough. Unless we're megalomaniac and we just assume we're, we're, you know, trying to blind ourselves to think that we actually are the ideal. So what is it, you know, like the, the human condition, being a human being? And this, uh, I think many of us have never really, you know, in, especially in the early years of Gnosticism, we, we're trying to live up to the standards of becoming and, and we don't uh, appreciate or understand the limitations of being human. And so these are, you know, these are, this human condition is, is to be understood not to be despised. And so the awakening uh, is to, to recognize the limits that <coughs> we have physically <coughs> and the conditions, the, the, our emotional conditioning. the needs of a human being, of a human individual, of what? You know, what, what are basic human needs? And, and uh, the, the, uh, the good things about being human and also the, it's, uh, the uh, limitations, the problems of being human. So for example, the human body is uh, is an animal's body. Now, some people don't like this because we are human beings. You know, we tend to want to see ourselves as a step above the animal kingdom. But when you observe, you know, it operates in the same principles as apes and monkeys and dogs and cats. The same procreative urges, a need for food, water shelter, fear is the common result of living in a, in a form like this, it's a, being caught in, the, in this uh, very vulnerable human body. So, then the uh, the ability we have to reflect on this condition, not, not try to perfect our humanity or make it into some, some perfect kind of ideal human being that we should be, but we're just noticing the, the human conditions that we're experiencing. Like uh, sexual desire, that is, it's part of the, the deal you get when you're born in human body or as a creature on this planet. So that's, that's just a natural uh, part of, of our uh, experience. Because it's a procreative drive, isn't it? It's mainly, it's the purpose really to, to, uh, to reproduce the species. Uh, anger is is a natural emotion, and, and fear. These are these are kind of primal, primal emotions that you see in animals as well as in uh, humans. We we can we can re respond to you know we. We tend to, as a human being, if we're loved and treated properly, we tend to expand and feel secure. And if we're abused and persecuted, we contract. That's just the, the way it is. So, uh, so just noticing the, the natural movements of, of the, the body, and it's uh, and the emotional uh, habits that we've developed. 
condition of being a sensitive form, being in this very delicate position, vulnerable position of having to, you know, receive impingement continually. So we're always subjected to pleasure and pain as, as experience. Now, when it comes to ideals, we can create, you know, like utopian societies and ideal men and women and, and ideal husbands and wives and ideal monks and nuns, ideal teachers and prime ministers and presidents. And these are, you know, how things should be. But we're all operating from the, the limitations of our conditioning rather than from some ability to, to live up to, to the ideal. And notice this, I found this very, you know, sort of obvious insight, but it's one of those insights that's so obvious you, you don't, uh, it doesn't register until you contemplate it, uh, how ideals are fixed. You know, they're, they don't feel. Like the ideal of compassion, having compassion for all sentient beings, uh, in itself doesn't feel compassion. It's beautiful and perfect, in, in it, you know, as, as an ideal. But it doesn't feel anything. Thoughts and ideals, you know, they're, they're not... They're not sensitive. So when we attach to, to uh, ideals and ideas, of opinions and views, then we, we make ourselves insensitive. And so even in the name of compassion for all sentient beings, we can be very, you know, we can be very attached to that and, and not feel compassion when, it, when the situations arise. So, you know, having compassion for, or, you know, a billion Chinese that are not here is very easy because it's all very abstract, isn't it? It's, it's, not, it's not a billion Chinese at this moment not particularly threatening us unless we, you know, we've we're, you know, we're worried about population problem, but on a personal level, uh, we're not. There's no. I don't know one. You know, Chinese in China at this time that I feel personally threatened by. <laughs> and yet, within the community itself, you know, we can we can feel. You know, we we have this ideal of compassion, and yet not be able to really experience compassion towards each other. When the, when the conditions for that particular uh, emotion are present. So in, in this respect, noticing how, you know, Western educated people uh, tend to operate from ideals and then feel quite guilty because they, they can never quite live up to them. So this is it's putting this in the context of the way it is, just noticing the limitation of ideals and, and it's not to, uh, you know, criticize that because they're they are beautiful, they're perfect, and, but the attachment to them out of ignorance will end, will, is the cause of the suffering. <clears throat> so then on a human level, we, we, we understand the human problem, don't we, when we look at suffering, it, uh, the dukkha, the first noble truth, and the causes. If we really look at this, uh, you know, this this is not an ideal at all. Dukkha is not 
is a is a truth that we investigate, we understand, because this is common to all of us. You know, it's a, we're brothers and sisters in suffering, old age, sickness, and death. And that we all lose all that is mine, beloved, and pleasing will become otherwise, will become separated from it. This is something we all share, whether you're rich or poor or African, European, or whatever. This we can, you know, we can understand these, these feelings of grief, sorrow, and despair. We can understand greed, lust, anger, and rage, and jealousy, envy, fear, anxiety and worry because these we all experience these are common to the human beings everywhere so then the, when you understand the suffering and it's no longer you know my suffering why does it have to happen to me you know why you know uh, kind of blaming others and uh, and then uh, you know feeling sorry for yourself when we give up doing that and look you know directly at the reality of dukkha understand it then the compassion is our natural response to the suffering of others it's the same thing really if there's ignorance, there's going to be suffering. How many human beings do you know that have had an opportunity to awaken? Isn't it? We're quite fortunate. I feel very fortunate that I discovered Buddhism so young and pursued it. It wasn't like a part of my cultural programming wasn't part of the the program you get when you're born into white middle class America and it's you know discovered it by accident or coincidence or maybe I was meant to but anyway I'm you know I'm grateful that I had had this uh, option this opportunity where you know most people in the western world you know, it used to be, you know, very, very difficult to, to, you know, no one ever knew a Buddhist or there was hardly anything available in, in English or Western languages. So this awareness then, sati sampatanya, is is the is the path for liberation. You know, it's not to resign yourself with with the views about being a human being, but recognizing what being human is. So being a human being isn't an identity anymore. We don't need to go around thinking I'm a human being and some kind of, of uh, identity that I attach to. But these are words, English words, human and being, and, and they, they're pointing to this formation here, this body and the, and the mental conditions. I'm not kind of making human, humanity into some ideal, you know, and and um, making it into something more than what it is. And that's a tendency, you know, to, to when, you, when you're fed up with, uh, with altruistic standards and uh, high-minded standards that you'll never attain, then you, you've just got to learn to be just totally human, accept our humanity and, and so forth, and make, uh, you know, attach the, to more ideas about being a complete, fulfilled, 
human being. But that's going back to the same problem, idealizing humanity. So what we're doing, you know, in, when you investigate the teachings of Buddha, like the 22 Indriya, there's a whole list there of faculties to explore about being human. You know, through the, the sense experiences, the, the female uh, condition, the male condition, all these are listed. The, the minutia condition, the human condition. To be, not to be uh, defined in, in nice English grammar, but to, they're pointing to what is it? What is this? How does this affect consciousness? You know, the eye, to being able to see and hear, smell, taste, touch, think. The, uh, the gender of the body, how does that affect consciousness? In terms of, uh, you know, what you're experiencing. You know, sometimes we think, We've got this ideals about men and women being equal and the same. And this is another ideal, how it should be. There shouldn't be any difference. But yet, there are differences that need to be recognized. Physical differences. Experience of masculinity and femininity. It's not... You know, it's not saying one is better than, it's not trying to make a case that one is somehow superior, but they are different. You know, the effect on, on conscious experience, how that, those particular conditions affect consciousness, you, you have to know for yourself. I can't speak for, for uh, from having, uh, from being, uh, having a female body. You know, I can, listen to you and I can uh, understand you know but in terms of the reality of having female body I, I don't know but I do know the reality of a male body So this, this awareness and satipanya is to, is, is to uh, look at this, at the reality of the, you know, what's actually happening in terms of this karmic formation. Getting old, that's something I'm very interested in now. Old age now is very important to understand. Because the body's old, so it's uh, you know, and I'm I'm interested in in an old body. You know, it's it's not. I don't see it as a on a you know as something wrong or bad or that I don't want. It's part of the process of learning, isn't it? To with the aging process is a natural process. It's not a choice one has. It's the way it, it is. So you're, you're awakening to, not, not coming from, from what you read in books about old age or femininity or masculinity or anything like that, but, but trusting yourself to recognize the, the, what you're actually experiencing, what it is like. You know, so you're, you're, this is an intuitive discernment of reality, not, not based on ideas that you acquire from somebody else. So how you experience it, and I can't tell you how, you know, you've got to, you've got to experience everything the way I do, and, uh, I'm the standard for right practice, and, and if you don't do it, and don't, you know, have the same experience as I do, you're off the track, because I can't speak for you. I only speak from my own direct experience, and then put it in language, hopefully, that it communicates 
and points, not to me or my views or teachings or whatever you want to call them, but that, that you're actually, what I'm hoping is that you're looking at, beginning to trust yourself to notice. There's a lot of these, you know, they're obvious when they're looked, when they're recognized, but they're so easily not noticed. You know, if we, if we don't intend to notice and listen and learn, then we, we, uh, you know, even though they're quite obvious and blatant in a way, we, we, we don't, they just never register in consciousness. Even though they're affecting consciousness, we, we go on all the assumptions and habits of cultural conditioning, personal views and opinions. That we can have compassion for animals, can't we? Because we share a lot in common with the animal world. We have an animal body. We know what it's like to be hungry or to be, you know, kicked and physically brutalized. So, you know, the, to be exploited, you know, you, you see how much exploitation the animal kingdom. We, you know, we, from societies that you know, are not that are supposed to be democratic. I don't feel particularly I'm, I've been exploited in any great, uh, dreadful way. But I can also see, having been in institutions, you know, in military life and in university and, and schools and that, how, how uh, just the regimentation use of of conditioning can be uh, applied to just to to keep us in line. And of course, the animal kingdom doesn't have much choice. You know, we completely dominate them now. But we can understand, you know, in, in from the the exploitation we do, we have received in our lives, the suffering that comes from just being exploited for use by, of somebody else, for like for making money and profit. Because they're sensitive beings also. They've got eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. They feel things. They feel happy and sad and they respond well to kindness and they get angry and they get, they go wild and they become horrible when they're mistreated. <clears throat> Just like we do. So reflecting, you know, the compassion then comes not through some kind of romantic idealization of the animal kingdom and nature in general, but through understanding. So, so the compassion of Karuna is not, you know, just a, a high-minded ideal, a kind of abstraction of the mind. It's a, it's a reality that comes through understanding the basic problem, suffering, its causes, the condition of attachment, of ignorance, attachment, of identity with the limitations of of the conditioned forms we're in. Now, being humans, we've got this this reflective mind, and we can contemplate ourselves. We can contemplate our own experience. We can reflect on it. So this is what mindfulness is, sati panya, sati sampachanya. This is the, the essence of Buddhism. This is Buddhism. This is the Buddha's teaching about awakened awareness. Not trying to evolve into a higher species or, you know, perfect the human, our humanity as, as some ideal, but understanding 
awakening to the way things are to the Dhamma. The metta, the Brahma Viharas, metta, I find this the basis because metta is really non-discrimination. Now when you're spreading metta, you're spreading it to, to all sentient beings, seen, unseen, born, un, not yet born, so on. They put it in a formula where, you know, it's impossible that anything gets left out. <laughs> any creature. <laughs> so, I mean, and what that does, you know, just conceptually is, you know, it's it's not favoring, you know, like 90% uh, metta to human beings or to my best friends <laughs> and 10% to the rest. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, favoring or preferring or getting lost in, in, in one's, uh, preferences or or views about which is the best or which is worthy who who is worthy of my metta you know is george bush worthy of my metta and osama bin laden are they should i have metta or they you know, or uh, you know people that you know that one feels very critical or averse to, you know, that when we put metta on a personal level of liking or approving, or that, then it, it's no longer metta. <clears throat> so, so metta, loving kindness, isn't it, it, it's it's non-discriminatory, non-discriminatory. Doesn't prefer or choose, but it's it's. For every all all sentient beings, good and bad, the evil forces, the good ones, the devil, God, the saints, the angels, the demons, serial killers, totally despicable human beings, as well as best friends, and then cats and dogs, of course, no problem. Mosquitoes, spiders, frogs. Some of you might have a little more. <laughs> but since in England these are not great problems, uh, you know, it doesn't is not so much a, a present attack as in Thailand. We've got a lot of a lot of uh, mosquitoes. Now notice that this this is uh, metta. Then it's you're using the thought process, but not for discrimination, but for reflection, to bring into consciousness, you know, all sentient beings and and in in various groups or when, you know, those near, those far away, those born and to be born and the Lord of Death, the spread method to the Lord of Death, to the upachaya, everything. So conceptually, then this this is a reflective practice. Not it's not uh, you know it's not uh, a, a a kind of idealistic romantic kind of let's be nice to everybody kind of ideal. And learning to then to really develop metta is to start with yourself having this ability to receive in yourself conditions that you don't like and and not condemn them or despise them so so when you get to the you know starting with with one's 
own experience, directed about oneself, about the way one is, the way you are, your thinking, your emotions, your habits, good and bad. Metta then gives its foundation for receiving even anger and jealousy and fear and and pettiness and stupidity and and all these these uh, emotional mental conditions that we despise in ourselves. And so, see, see, metta is is not it's not uh, it's not justifying, approving, liking anything at all. It's the receiving, noticing ability. So even the most despicable emotion you might have, the nastiest feeling, the most selfish feeling you might have, is is then having uh, this, this having this metaphor it allowing it to be what it is like metta doesn't doesn't demand that you know I, I'll have metta for you if you do what I want if you change your ways and and you um, you know you behave yourself and improve your your character then I can have metta for you. But if you're still going to be stubborn and difficult, no, I'm no metta for you. <laughs> it's unconditioned love, isn't it? It's not putting conditions. I, I love you only when, you, when you're, you know, when I feel you're at least trying to be better. The way I think, you know, I think you, what I think, how you should be, and and even if you're having a difficult time, at least trying, then I can at least say I love you. But if if you're not even trying, if you're resisting, you're starting a rebellion against me, then no, that's the end. No love for you. You've betrayed me. You've disappointed me. You you're the enemy. So these are the the you know these are emotional reactions. So. Metta is not an emotion then. It's not like, it's not like I love everybody kind of feeling when you're feeling high. It's the ability to let something be what it is in yourself or to receive somebody, other human being or creature for what it is. Doesn't mean you like, like it. So notice, like liking, dislike depend on conditions. You say if you're if you're really practicing and 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 you're doing everything well and 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 the, we get along very well and so forth, then the conditions for liking are present because that's the way it is. You know, I I like it when, you know, when th- when there's harmony and we get on well and and I f- feel a trust and confidence and then 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 I like you. But then when you start resisting, complaining, rebelling, start, you know, then then the conditions for not liking are there. You're being difficult, stubborn, and stupid, and ornery. Those are not likable conditions. You can't like them. So, just noticing the, what, how like and dislike work. So, in the Itta Bhajjata, things are the way they are. You know, when the conditions for this presence is the way it is. Now just notice how dependent liking and disliking are. You know, changes. So you, that's why we have love-hate relationships with each other. Because we can't just be what somebody else likes or act or think or um, determine our lives to be likable to everybody. It's not possible. 
that you like me all the time, you know, that's not possible. So then you, you know, you develop what they call love-hate relationships. These are quite normal, you know, natural, because like with parents or your own children, your partners, uh, between the monks and nuns, um, the society, all this, there's this what they call love-hate. This is normal because in in this not it's not unconditioned love. It's when the conditions for harmony and peace and getting on and and uh, so forth are present, then then I love you. And when when they're not present, then I hate you. So just notice this, then. You know, I was brought up in a family where you're never supposed to, you were always supposed to love your parents. And, and that was, a, you know, that was unquestioned. So sometimes I didn't love them, I hated them. I never knew what to do with that, I just felt bad, you know because I couldn't do what I'm supposed to do, love my mother and father all the time, you know, unceasingly, unmitigated love. And then I get angry with them and, and uh, resist them and hate them sometimes and then feel guilty because, you know, this was... The, the, my family were not reflecting on the way things are. It was called dysfunctional family. <laughs> Putting it in modern terms. So, so what do you do when when you when you're supposed to love and you, and you, as a kind of permanent relationship and you and you you don't feel that you, know, you just take it very personally like like uh, something wrong with me. This is why we get so neurotic and and uh, in in modern society because we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand the basic equipment that's influencing us. You know that which is nearest that we have to live with for a lifetime. We don't un- we don't know it or understand it, or and so we we get conditioned into all kinds of mental state mental habits that uh, can be quite, can be, can be a, a source of great suffering for a lifetime. So then awakening, is, uh, you know, the waking up means this is simple ability to, to be aware in the present. No great achievement. You know, no, don't pat yourself on the back. It's just a natural state, you know, that we overlook. You know, not that we're, we're never awake, but we may not have, it may not have registered the value, the, the significance of just awareness in the present. You know, if you're goal oriented, then you, you don't value the present moment because your aim is always at some distant goal in the future. So like with metta, then this this to me is very skillful practice towards myself, towards this being able to receive, you know, the, the, the things I don't like, that I don't want in myself, without criticizing them, not receiving them, without making a problem or, you know, claiming them as some kind of personal defects or as if it were, you know, permanently my faults. <clears throat> If you've been brought up to to feel guilty about anger, and then you you develop you develop ways of suppressing 
this feeling. You know, so you 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 know to survive. If you got to live, you know, as a child, you've got to live with these people. So, you know, you've got to learn how to survive. Get what you need. Get make sure that your life is. You can survive the situation. So you develop habits, ways of surviving the situation, but uh, to get through it. To so we have this ability to survive all kinds of horrible situations in life. It's, you know, amazing the human capacity to survive under the most adverse conditions. <coughs> because we do have this intelligence and ability to kind of somehow, you know, adapt ourselves to to at least get through, get survive some maybe very horrible situation. Fortunately, my family were good people, and they were not brutes or, or you know, they were not um, mean. <clears throat> but just this this uh, this ideal of but one grew up with a feeling of guilt, a lot of guilt around. Uh, but they were very you know they're very idealistic parents, so then one you feel somehow you failed them as a person because you you're not you're not really you know if you don't you know if you just you go your own way you're displeasing them in some way <clears throat> so awakening is is not to put the blame anymore on on the, the conditions, but to awaken to it, to see the suffering, the cause, the cessation, the way of non-suffering. So I think we all heave a sigh of relief when we recognize, well, being human is like this. For me, it's a, it's a relief that, that, that it's not, I'm not a flawed person, but a human. I'm, I've got limitations. This human body, you know, affects conscious experience. And, and I've been conditioned in a very, in a very, with a kind of, Protestant ethic, uh, kind of white man's um, arrogance, middle class, white, Christian conditioning, which is very dualistic. You know, you're brought up in this very, this is good, bad, right, wrong, very rigid and uh, uh, absolute, absolutizing the relative. There's not much, you know, they didn't offer much kind of movement of, of ways of, of looking at things. It's either right or wrong. Either with, you're with me or against me. Either you love me or hate me. <laughs> if you're not my friend, you're my enemy. But then intuitively there was something that didn't, you know, I, even as a child didn't, you know, the, there's this intuitive intelligence operates throughout your life, whether you're aware of it or not. So there was never, you know, the, in spite of the, the 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 social conditioning, the family conditioning, there was something that was, you know, felt something. It must be more than this. You know, this this picture that I'm getting. From the Christian conditioning that I that I received, it must be some, you know it doesn't it, it doesn't seem quite right. It didn't seem quite real, maybe, or maybe it was me. Maybe it's my lack of ability to believe in it, or you know, that goes into self doubts again. But then when I discovered Buddhism, you know, it just was like switching on the light. 
So I was about 21 when I discovered Buddhism. So like switching on the light, suddenly, you know, this is it. It was the, it was the, what, the light at the end of the tunnel or whatever, but it, it, you know, it, I don't know, you know, why, what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't like I'd studied Buddhism and, and, and uh, reasoned it all out. Just something when, just reading half a page of a Zen book, suddenly, there was this incredible sense of awakening. So, that, to me, it spoke on this intuitive level, this intuitive intelligence. No, it wasn't, I couldn't have explained it, you know, in a reasonable way to you at the time. If, you, if, you'd, uh, if you'd met me then and you said, well, what about this Buddhism you're so enthusiastic about? What is it? I don't think I could have found the words to to accurately describe because it was an intuitive awakening. Something in me woke up. It wasn't because I'd reasoned it all out and agreed with the premises of the of Buddhist teachings in the scriptures. So it wasn't a rational choice. So what is that? And I'm sure many, most of you can relate to this, something in you, you know, in spite of all your intelligence, rational conditioned intelligence and so forth. There's also this other, this, this profound intelligence that's universal, it's not a cultivated through education. It's a natural intelligence that, that uh, we can be quite unaware of when we're so identified with, with the uh, five khandhas as, as ourself. So like this, the, the symbol, the, the term Buddha or Bhutto, the one who knows, I mean, that's intelligent knowing. And it's a knowing, a profound knowing. It's, it's a discerning knowing. There's wisdom there. It's not culturally conditioned kind of knowing about things. It's not knowing all about Buddhism. It's knowing Dhamma, you know. Suffering, Dukkha, Samudhaya, Nirodha, Maga. Suffering, its causes, the cessation of suffering in the past. So this, this, this means that in the reality of cessation, when we begin to recognize non-attachment, this is liberation in, in the present. This is Nibbana. This is real. If you try to think about it and analyze it, you, you'll start doubting again. This is where, you know, when you try to figure out whether you you really experience cessation or, you know, you get caught in your own habits of self-doubt and, and that this is why I keep pointing to this, this intuitive intelligence is something you have to trust or encourage, you don't have to, I encourage you to do so. You know, because otherwise, you know, if you just, if, if you don't trust it, then, then you are, you, you know, you can be a Buddhist your whole life and still be overwhelmed with endless doubts. So on this winter's retreat, just trying to point this out so that you, you, uh, you know, you, so that, because it's, it's so natural to us that, uh, in, but when you think about it, it puts you at a distance again. Try to figure it out, you know, you know, by defining it. You'll, you'll, you move away. You know, thinking is not the way to do it. It's through trusting the awareness. 
So you can define awareness. I don't know how many definitions of mindfulness, awareness, and, and this uh, one can have about, uh, you know, trying to figure out what these are. Just like with consciousness, vijnana. I could I could easily see rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, and vijnana. What is that? Consciousness. I knew the word consciousness. What is the reality of consciousness? So I, you know, I go to the library and find definitions, what psychologists say, and and so forth. Then suddenly it dawned on me. I'm conscious. The the reality of consciousness is not. Why why do I want to find a definition of it from somebody else in a book or a dictionary? I don't trust my own experience of consciousness because uh, this is what it is. You know, I don't need to define it. You know, have it, you know, figured out with, with words, but to recognize or realize. So it's, you know, I'm conscious all the time, even when I'm totally lost in delusion. Even when I'm, you know, really totally bound up in deluded mental states, the conscious is still operating. (laughs) And there's sleep consciousness. You know, there's still consciousness even when you're asleep. But then consciousness is uh, is not something that that you create. You know, it is it comes with the package, having been born into the human body. It's conscious. Where you do create the other, you know, the not the body, but the rupa and vijnana are just, you know, <coughs> that's the result of birth. But the uh, and then the vedana. That's part of it too, because the sense realm is pleasure, pain, neutral experience through the senses. And then how we, you know, out of ignorance, then we create the sanya sankhara around it and being mine, and and uh, we 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 make that into an identity. I'm the body. I'm. I'm I'm a man, I'm Caucasian, I'm an American, I am like this and I should be like that. And all that comes through conditioning. So getting back to the original state before you become a person, you see, it's not, it's not difficult. Well, that means you you get beyond your thinking process. You can you can reason this out quite nicely, but it's still not liberating. Even if you've got even the most you know intelligent definitions for it all, but the the um, the trust in your awareness. So consciousness is like you know like like space. It's here. But you may never notice it, really. Never, you know. You can you can spend come in this temple and just be caught in your own head, in your own scenarios. Uh, you know, and me and mine, and my practice, and this and that, and then and then you look around and you see the monks and the nuns and the nagarikas and nagarikas, samaneras and the lay people. Men and women, and then you see the bricks on the wall, and the Buddha Rupa, and the carpet on the floor, and and me in the high seat, and you can just completely, you know, miss the the important reality of space. 
So like the Japanese definition of hell is no space. I quite like that. As Richard Smith pointed that out. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's a good reflection. No space when you're in hell. What are you doing? And you're not looking at hell as some place that you'll go to in the future if you're naughty. But, you know, we can, I can live in hell right in the present. Living here at Amravati, I can create a hell realm by no space, just caught in the rabid movement of thoughts and emotions and reactions, overwhelmed by my emotional habits and views and opinions, upset by this, worried about that, annoyed with these people, fed up, angry, Too much, can't stand it, can't bear it anymore. It's your fault. Nobody really takes through the problems you have of being the head monk. I'm in hell realm. <laughs> no, no space, is there? It just, it just, you feel cramped in this, in this ongoing, relentless uh, feeling. You know, it just doesn't give you any space. So you take it with you, you know, I'm sitting here, grumble, 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 and I walk out, I'm grumbling, go into my kuti, I'm grumbling. Venerable Nyanarato brings me my breakfast, I'm grumbling. And I come in here for the first hour, I'm grumbling. And then I have to sit here with myself, you know, at least when you're eating food, you've got some distraction, but when you're suddenly meditating and, and your, your mind, you're caught in some kind of raging feeling and it takes you over, and that's hell. You don't have to wait for the next life to find out what hell is. Because, <clears throat> you know, that's the thought process, isn't it? One thought just goes on to the next. You know, like if somebody, your best friend, does something that enrages you, and you get angry with them. And then you remember all the things you don't like about them all at once. You know, ten years ago he did this. Five years ago he did that, and he shouldn't have, and he's, and he, and he did this, and he's done that, and and then because the anger, once it starts, you know, it, it just the the whole associative ability takes over. So you start remembering all the things, all the disappointments, and and uh, disagreeable things that that my best friend committed. But when when there's no anger, then my best friend wonderful, you know, supports me through life and we're really simpatico and and he's got wonderful qualities and <laughs> when you're you know, when you're thinking in a positive way, you can't it, you can dismiss those other things that you remember when you're angry. That's just the way it is. Isn't it? The, once you once you grasp an emotion, then it 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 creates all the rest, the the memories and, and all the, ra- uh, the negative memories will will be the dominant ones. If you're angry, and if you're in love with somebody, you know you can't see anything, you know, it, or you dismiss if they've got little annoying habits or bony elbows or something. You can kind of even find it endearing. And then when you're angry with them, you think, she has bony elbows. (laughs) And when you're in love with her, then you think, she's got the sweetest bony elbow. (laughs) As the mind plays those kind of tricks,
So, being attached to thought and ideas, ideals, if, you know, if this is all we know, then we are in a hell realm. You know, it's, there's no space left in that world. And that's why people have to, you know, drink and take drugs. I think drugs and, and talk to people that have been on heroin. You know, they they do have a feeling of space when they when they have this drug in them. A brief kind of relief from the hell realm of no space. They inject heroin into your veins, and, and at least for a moment, you know, a few moments, you've got heaven you know you got some space suddenly all the worldly problems and obsessions are gone but then it's not a skillful means because it's you know it leads to, to even worse kind of hell realms you know so recognize that, that uh, with meditation you know it's a uh, Skillful means awareness. You're going back to the source. You're going to your real home. What you really are, you know, not what you think you are or assume you are. So you're getting back to the pure awareness, which is unitive and receptive. You know, it's not not. Judgmental is not discriminatory.